Happy 4th of July weekend, and uh, we're going to jump right into the series that we've been in since Easter called The Thread. And uh, there is a, a theme that threads itself through both the Old Testament and the New Testament of the Bible. Uh, would you say, look forward to Jesus? That is the theme. And since it's a holiday weekend, I'm going to give you the weekend off. I will do the hand motions for you, all right? And I'm sure let's go right along inside. So... Got it? Of course you know what that was, right? Uh, we start with, uh, that's, that's almost the whole Old Testament. Creation gets flooded, all right? God created the world, put Adam and Eve in paradise, told them, all, obey me except for don't touch this one tree. Sure enough, they sinned. And that sin opened the floodgates of evil into creation ever since. So creation gets flooded, the flood of the count of Noah. We'll talk about that some more in future weeks. Uh, and then he chose one family, the family of Abraham. The chosen family makes their way to the promised land, but they left Israel, went to Egypt because of famine, spent 400 years there as slaves, were delivered from that and made their way back into Israel. And then they had to conquer the book of Joshua and settle the book of Judges. Then they wanted to be like everybody else. So we wanted, we wanted a king. So there are we three kings, and those kings were Saul, David, and Solomon. And then divided... We fall. That was the united reign of Israel, the golden age of Israel during those three kings. Then they divided into the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Southern kingdom was one tribe, Judah. Northern kingdom was the other 11 tribes. Divided we fall. And that they divided around 931 BC. And so uh, when you're moving toward the time of Christ, numbers go backwards. They get smaller. So at 720, 728 BC, uh, Israel fell, the northern kingdom. And Judah fell 586 B.C. Took longer because there were more righteous kings in Judah. There were none in Israel. The Bible says righteousness exalts a nation, but sin's a disgrace to any people. And then there were prophets. So we're looking at prophets now that spoke to both those kingdoms, and their theme was shape up or ship out. All right, last week we looked at Amos and Hosea. They spoke to the northern kingdom. They warned them of God's judgment. They did not listen, and so they were deported uh, by Assyria. And now there is the warning to the southern kingdom, Judah, shape up or ship out. And uh, we're going to jump into uh, Isaiah and Micah. There are others who speak to them, but these two are, are a great example of the message to Judah. It's a message of repentance because God calls us to that. Uh, and God tries to get our attention through judgment. And he uses judgment when we don't listen, when we don't pay attention. The Holy Spirit, the Bible says, convicts us of righteousness and unrighteousness. How many of you ever did, whether it was love dating, meal packing, or just a good deed, how many of you ever did something good for somebody else, unselfish? You know that good feeling inside? That's the Holy Spirit convicting your righteousness. That's that attaboy, attagirl, all right? He also convicts us of unrighteousness. How many of you ever did something you felt guilty and convicted for doing it? You shouldn't have said, done, whatever, okay? All right, that's a conviction of unrighteousness. When we're convicted of our sin, when we feel guilty, what are we supposed to do? Say, repent. If you repent, what are you? Say forgiven. And if you're forgiven, should you keep feeling guilty? No, all right? You leave it, all right? And so, in fact, the Bible says once we repent and we're forgiven, we are justified. It's just as if I hadn't sinned. But many people don't repent or they don't really mean it. They return to their sin. They harden their heart and they keep going in their evil ways. God will bring judgment on those people to try to break their will, get them to a place where they'll finally repent, finally be sorry. He can then restore them. That's the purpose of judgment. 
It's not just to obliterate people. No, it is to bring them to a place of brokenness so that they can be restored. And so we see that message in Isaiah and in Micah. If you have the app, you can follow along. I'll give you a heads up. Uh, the first point will have verses on screen. Most of the rest of the verses don't. I'm going to do a ton of verses. So you might want to get your Bible or Bible device out because we're going to camp in Isaiah. These are some of the coolest, oh, that's the right word for a Bible verse, some of the coolest verses in Scripture that we're ever going to read. I love them. They are dear to my heart. They remind me of why I need Jesus. So you might want to read through. Isaiah and Micah warn of coming judgments. And so we go to the book of Isaiah, chapter 5, verse 20. And in Isaiah 5, verse 20, he says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. And if that isn't a, an example of our current culture, who call darkness light, who call evil good. We have taken morality and flipped it upside down. And our, our, our nation is reeling from the results of that. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. And I couldn't help but jot down Romans 1 where it says, professing to be wise, they became fools. And when I look at our current culture and the things we're trying to say are right or wrong, it is foolishness. And yet we think we're so wise and so arrogant in our own eyes. Woe to those who are heroes in drinking wine and valiant men in mixing strong drink. Insert any alcohol commercial here. Um, who justify the wicked for a bribe and take away the rights of the ones who are in the right. The Bible is a book and God is a God who calls for justice. Therefore, as a tongue of fire consumes stubble, think of the forest fire pictures you see when they're raging out west, and dry grass collapses into the flame, so their root will become like rot and their blossom blow away as dust. For they have rejected the law of the Lord of hosts and despised the word of the Holy One of Israel. On this account, the anger of the Lord has burned against his people and he has stretched out his hand against them and struck them down. And the mountains quaked and their corpses lay like refuse in the middle of the streets. For all his anger is not spent. He's still got more, but his hand is still stretched out. Therefore, my people go into exile for their lack of knowledge. Isaiah is prophesying what's going to happen. If you don't repent... Righteousness exalts the nation. You'll go the way of Israel. Sin is a disgrace. You'll be destroyed and you'll be carted off into exile. That's exactly what happened in 586 B.C. The Babylonian Empire took them and carted them off. Now, there's the good news, bad news in this because Isaiah's writing this. Isaiah and Micah both prophesied around 700 B.C. plus or minus a couple of decades. All right, they overlapped that. 700 B.C., Judah didn't fall and get deported until 586. What is that? 120, 114 years later. And the problem is that many of the consequences of our sin are not immediate. How many of you ever sinned and it was a long time before you ever had to pay for it? Or maybe, how many of us, I've sinned and it appears I've got away with it. I kind of wish that when I sinned, I got immediately jolted. <laughs> Man, that would be like Pavlov's dogs. I would, I would shape up real quick. But you tell that untruth. You, you commit that act. You have that attitude and that thought. You harbor those things inside. And, 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 and there's no immediate payment. 
So it's hard to take Isaiah serious. It's going to be another century before this stuff really happens. But he's warning the people. And then Micah does the same thing. In Micah chapter 2, verse 1, he says, Woe to those who scheme iniquity, who work out evil on their beds. When morning comes, they do it, for it is in the power of their hands. They premeditate it. They covet fields and then seize them and houses and take them away. They rob a man in his house, a man in his inheritance. Again, there's that call for justice. And later, Micah would say, What does God require of you, O man, but to go to church, be nice, and, and I don't know, sing songs? No, it's, it's what does he require but to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly? God's a God of justice. Therefore, thus says the Lord, behold, I am planning against this family. What family? The family of Israel. The, you know, creation is flooded. The chosen family. All right, he chose Abraham. At that time, Abram and Sarai changed their names, Abraham and Sarah. They went from Israel. And he gave them three promises, remember? I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to give you land as far as you can see, north, south, east, west. That's Israel. And through your descendants, the world will be blessed. That's talking about Jesus way in the future. This family, he says, I am planning against this family a calamity from which you cannot remove your necks. You won't escape. And you will not walk haughtily, for it will be an evil time. On that day, they'll take up against you a taunt and utter a bitter lamentation and say, we are completely destroyed. That's sober stuff. It was as severe when we looked at Amos and Hosea last weekend. And the thing that says, you know, I might be prone if I didn't know better, I'd say, well, I'm sure glad that was then, this is now. But see, the problem is what Israel and Judah had coming and deserved, you and I deserve and have coming. Because the Bible says, all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Turn to your neighbor and tell them that means us. We've all sinned. Any exceptions here? Raise your hand. I'll get your autograph, sign my Bible. <laughs> all have sinned. I don't care, little sin, big sin. Isaiah also says your sins have created a wedge between you and I, God says. Separates us. And if we don't do something, if somebody doesn't do something about that sin, we'll be separated from God, not just in this life, but for eternity. And the judgment that comes to us is damnation in hell. All of us have sinned. And so while Judah has the problem and Israel has a problem, you have a problem and I have a problem. It's called all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the wages of that sin is death. If you haven't asked Christ to be your Lord and Savior, you've still got the problem. Because there is no payment for your sin applied to it. It's you and you'll pay for it. All of us who have trusted Christ, asked him to be our Savior, confessed our sin and repented of it, we are forgiven and it is just as if we hadn't sinned. That's what makes the gospel, what it means good news. It's incredible news what Isaiah is now going to talk about. And so I want to change gears and uh, get out of all of the judgment side of it because the, the, the greater message of the prophets is not judgment, judgment, judgment. That's coming. What God wants, though, is salvation, salvation, salvation. And that's the better news yet of Isaiah. And so let's look at Micah first. Micah declares, look forward to Jesus. Say, look forward to Jesus. The theme of every book of Scripture. And listen to what Micah says, and you might think I'm reading the Christmas story. 
But as for you, Bethlehem, Epathroth, and there's two Bethlehems in that day, so this one means Bethlehem fruitful. Too little to be among the clans of Judah, tiny little town. From you one will go forth from me to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity, from centuries before. And he will rise and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they will remain because at that time he will be great to the ends of the earth. This one will be our peace. That first verse, verse 2 about Bethlehem may sound familiar to you because at Christmas, we read the story of Christ's birth and, and the wise men, remember the, the wise men come from the east and they come to Herod and they say, where is he who's born king of the Jews? Herod flies into a rage. He's easily threatened and he calls his wise men and says, how come these guys are here asking for a king? Who is this king? Where is this king? And so they do their due diligence. They do their research, come back and they tell Herod, well, you know what? It says here in Micah that this, this savior, this king will be born in Bethlehem. They quote this verse in, in the gospel in the story of Christ. Realize how phenomenal that is in itself. Micah is writing 700 years before we call Christmas. And he's saying in this little town, oh, little town of Bethlehem, right? That, he's saying that seven centuries before it happens. If you were to fast forward for a modern day parallel, it'd be like in the year 1322, somebody prophesied that the savior of the world was going to be born in like West Milton, okay? I mean, no offense to West Milton. It's just a tiny, sleepy little town, right? I was there this past week. Anybody from West Milton? No offense, okay? All right, well, <laughs> love West Milton, okay? It's just a tiny little town. I mean, who would think that you could speculate that and that the savior would be born there? Yes. Micah is saying, look forward to Jesus. But what's even more incredible, and, you, and if, you, if you want to, you can look at Micah chapter 4. We're not going to go there this week. But he also talks not just about the, the first coming, but the second coming. And some of you might not be clear on what that means. And so let me just, I haven't read John yet, have I? John 14. It's a little hard when, when I have several services. Have I read John 14 yet? No. Okay, everybody says no, but my wife. Have I read it or? No, I, I quoted from John, babe. All right. Did I read the Let Not Your Heart Be Trouble? Yeah? Okay, okay. Will you hear this? At the Last Supper, Jesus says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. Can you imagine the place Jesus is preparing? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. Say, he will come again. And receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. Jesus made a promise at the Last Supper that I'm going to come again. Theologians call that the second coming. He has not come again yet. So when we say the Bible says look forward to Jesus, most of the Old Testament is saying look forward to Jesus the first time he came. And then the New Testament is saying look forward to Jesus the next time he'll come. It hasn't happened yet. We're still looking forward to that. But even, get this, in the Old Testament, some of the prophets are looking past not just the birth of Christ, they're also saying look forward to the ultimate coming of Christ, uh, the second coming and a new heaven and a new earth. And so you can read about that in Micah chapter 4. But let's jump to Isaiah now because Isaiah is just a phenomenal book. It has some of my absolute favorite verses of all Scripture. And, and the point, I label it the gospel according to Isaiah. You know what's incredible? 
to get the truth of the Gospels, the Gospel means good news. It's the biographies of Christ. It's the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You really don't need those books to get the heart of what Jesus did. You can go to Isaiah. God is such a miraculous God, the same yesterday, today, forever. You can go back 700 years before Jesus was even born and read about what he did. And so let's start with Isaiah 40, verse 3. A voice is calling, clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. Make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. Now, if you're a baby boomer, you remember God's spell. Uh, it was prepare ye the way of the Lord, saying it over and over again. The person who declared that, who said uh, prepare the way of the Lord, is John the Baptist. And this very verse is the words of John the Baptist in Matthew chapter 3, verse 3, seven centuries later, when John the Baptist, it was Jesus' slightly older cousin, and he is declaring, there is one coming that I'm not even fit to untie his sandals, but he is the Lord. Prepare the way of the Lord. And Isaiah wrote about John the Baptist's claim seven centuries early. Now there's a rationale for the gospel. In Isaiah chapter 1, verse 14, come now and let us reason together. Let's talk about this, says the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, they'll be as white as snow. Though they're red like crimson, they'll be like wool. And here you have one of the best reasons to live in Ohio. Best theological reasons, because every year this white stuff comes down. I say the more the merrier. And I am reminded when I see that beautiful blanket of snow, whenever I open the blinds and after a night and it's been snow, I'm like, oh, it's gorgeous. And I'm reminded, though my sins are as scarlet, they'll be white as snow. Jesus cleanses us of all unrighteousness, the Bible says. First time, every time. And Isaiah talks about that. Let's reason again. Let's realize we've all sinned. We all fall short. We all deserve damnation and judgment. But God will forgive you of your sins and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Isaiah 7, 14 says, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. That verse, that prophecy told by Isaiah happened seven centuries later. It's recorded in Matthew, the first chapter, the 23rd verse. An angel appears to Mary, a young virgin, engaged to a guy named Joseph and says, Hail, favored one. And the Bible says Mary was puzzled and pondered this in her heart. What is this angel talking about? Mary, God's will that's prophesied seven centuries ago is going to happen in you, in your womb. I'm going to take your dreams, flip them upside down. God's will often does that. You thought you were going to be engaged and have all the showers and wedding and have what? No, 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 no. You're going to get, conceive through the Holy Spirit, the Son of God, and you're going to give birth to the Son of God. And he's going to, and he's going to be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. And Mary, shell-shocked, says, I'm the bond slave of the Lord, which is a voluntary slave. Whatever he wants to do, let him do. She did ask questions. How can this be? I'm a virgin. And the angel said, with God, all things are possible. And then when Mary says, well, whatever you want to do, God do. No wonder Mary was a righteous person. And Isaiah talked about it. Isaiah 9, verse 6, for a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. This is Isaiah not looking forward to the first coming of Christ in a manger because the government didn't rest on his shoulders then. He's looking at the second coming of Christ when there will be a new heaven and a new earth and he will be our prince of peace. You remember the hallelujah chorus? And he will reign forever and ever. Hallelujah. All right. That's what Isaiah is talking about. My ADD is just kicking in like really good today. So 
bear with me and pray for my poor wife who lives with it all the time. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. I, I need his name to be that. The times when I feel like life is a train wreck. And maybe you're there right now. Maybe it's a train wreck for you. Maybe you've messed it up. Maybe somebody else did it. Maybe it was a joint effort. Maybe it was a perfect storm. And it seems like nobody understands. You need a wonderful counselor where in prayer you can pour your heart out to him knowing that he understands. He's an eternal father. Fatherlessness is epidemic in our nation and in our world. As more and more children are born to families that aren't married to each other and dad eventually disappears, it's not just in America, it's worldwide. And, and there is no one to turn to. You have a heavenly father, an eternal father who loves you and cares about you and will be your strength and your provider. He is a mighty God. And I have to remind myself, when I see the evil that appears to have been let loose and is raging across the world, God is mightier than that. And when I am tempted to anxiety, I'm reminded that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And so, in Isaiah chapter 61, this is an amazing story. I'll try telling the story and then I'll read the verse. So Jesus is taken to the wilderness and tempted by the devil. And by the way, if Satan will tempt Jesus to give up his purpose in life, you know he's going to take his best shot at you over and over again. He goes in the wilderness. He's tempted in the desert. And then he comes out of that victorious. He finds himself then going to the, the local synagogue. And in the local synagogue, they hand him, as is the custom on the Sabbath, they hand someone, uh, they hand them the scrolls, uh, and the, a man would read from Scripture. Jesus opens the scroll. It is open to this verse. And Jesus reads this quotation from Isaiah. Try to get your head around this. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. And Luke 4.18 says, after he read this, he put the scroll back, he gave it to whoever, and then the Bible says, he said, today this has been fulfilled in your hearing, and he sat down. Amen. Now, you're looking at me like modern day Westerners. Okay, he sat down. All right. Now, there's huge meaning behind what Jesus, Jesus just did in this. Jesus, first of all, reads this passage that everybody hearing it, all those Jewish ears knew, this is talking about the Messiah. This is talking about the one who will proclaim the favorable year of our Lord. This is the one who will give liberty to captives, sight to blind. This is the one who will do that. And then Jesus says, today, this passage fulfilled in your midst. And then by sitting down, do you know what he meant by sitting down? Of course you don't. What he meant by sitting down was when a king would sit down, it meant he was finished. When Jesus said on the cross, it is finished, he did everything necessary for salvation when Jesus declared, today it's fulfilled in your hearing. And then he sits down. It's like his quiet way of saying, I'm him. Deal with it. I mean, how incredible. 
And Jesus, the kind of Savior that he is. Good news to the afflicted. Bind up the brokenhearted. That word bind up is kind of like when you have a, a, a bad muscle and you wrap, you wrap it with that ace bandage. Or you break your fibula and you wrap it with an ace bandage, right? And, and it allows you to, to go ahead and get along. Some of you are broken hearted. Maybe they broke your heart. Maybe you're broken hearted about a loved one or about a relationship or about dreams that are gone or, or seeing, you don't know what it is and you're broken hearted. You have a savior who says, I want to I I hug you so tight like an ace bandage. I want to help you through this. That's the kind of savior he is. I have needed the ace bandage of my soul countless times throughout my life. He came to proclaim liberty to captives. If you haven't noticed it, sin is addicting. Jesus said the one who sins is a slave to sin. You know how to be free from the addiction and the bondage of sin? is to come to Jesus Christ because he will forgive you and he will cleanse you and he will justify you and he will sanctify you and he will say you are now free from your addiction. Go and sin no more. He is that kind of savior and I have needed that kind of freedom and cleansing from my sin time and again. So grateful for who Isaiah told us he is. And then just some great advice. Do you not know and have you not heard Isaiah 40, 28? It's like, what's, what's going on? It's like the prophets, like God is watching us and he's watching some of us who, who, who are just exhausted and worn out. Just go, 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 go. And, and the way to fix it is go a little harder. Go, 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 go. No, he says... Do you not know, have you not heard the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, remind you of his resume? He does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. He gives strength to the weary, and to him who lacks might, he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. Not those who go harder, go longer, go faster. And some of you are going, pushing, striving, going, pushing, striving. And your, your tank is on empty and you know it, but you got this game face so nobody else sees it. And God is, well, he will wait if he has to until you are totally spent, totally depleted and finally like, okay, God, I guess it's you and me. I've been there before. Those who wait on the Lord will gain new strength. They'll mount up like with wings like eagles. They'll run and not get tired. They'll walk and not become weary. Have you ever seen an eagle fly? When they just, when they, they stretch out their wings and they just soar effortlessly. I picture what it must be like to be like an eagle. I never picture going, oh, I'm exhausted up here. <laughs> no, I'm an eagle. I soar. That's why our, our first Wednesday prayer services, people walk around, oh, I just feel so, we, just, we have one, two agendas, we worship and we pray. And just to wait in God's presence, so I hope you'll be here Wednesday at seven, it's just restorative. Just to sit, one of the most spiritual things some of you can do, especially those of you that are really just wrapped up in all kinds of the stress and, of life right now, one of the most spiritual things you can do is just sit, be quiet, and whatever thoughts about God, entertain those. Be still, and know that I'm God, the Bible says. Isaiah 41, verse 10 is for all of us who have reason to be anxious. Anxiety can ebb and flow. Anxiety can be almost a permanent state for some. Anxiety attacks are horrific. 
and whatever it is that's stressing you out and worrying you, Isaiah 41.10, this is God talking here through Isaiah. Do not fear. I'm with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. And those of you who are overwhelmed with anxiety, one of the best ways to make it worse is look at What about? What about? There's, there's loads of reason to be anxious as you look around. No, don't look about you. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. This the same God who centuries later would take on the form of a man and be born in a little town of Bethlehem and he would say to his followers, I know, guys, all hell's about to break loose, but let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe in me. I'm preparing a place for you. I'm going to come back for you. So whatever happens on this planet, he says it now. Don't let your heart be troubled. I know things are topsy-turvy. They're calling evil good and good evil. I know you feel like the evil are gaining ground. I know you don't feel safe. I know all this stuff is stressing you out, the economy, all that. Let not your heart be troubled. Don't be anxious. Trust me. I need that in a Savior. And then he says in Isaiah 42, verse 16, how many of us probably think too much? Think, 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 think. Got a problem? Think, 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 think about the problem. Think, 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 think. All around the problem, right? It says in Isaiah chapter 42, I will lead the blind by a way they do not know. In paths they do not know, I will guide them. I'll make darkness into light before them and rugged places into plains. These are the things I will do, and I will not leave them undone. You're going to make rugged places into plains? You're going to make a light before me. And the next verse goes, goes along with it. Do not call to mind the former things or ponder things of the past. Behold, I'll do something new. Now it will spring forth. Will you not be aware of it? I'll even make a roadway in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Let me tuck those two passages together and talk about how sometimes thinking about problems is not good. Because you can overthink it. How many of you ever thought about a problem and you kept thinking, think, 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 and you couldn't solve it? Anybody else in that category? So when we can't solve it, what do we do? We ratchet up the anxiety. I think, you know, if I think about it more stressed out, then I'll fix it. If I get more anxious, then I'll fix it. We just keep ratcheting up. Think, 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 think. No, can't, no, can't, no, no, no. And we come up with nothing. And then we toss a little prayerful thought in there, call it a prayer, and we just think ourselves into, into anxious oblivion. And what God wants to tell us is, you know what? I got solutions you haven't even thought of. How about the wilderness you're going through? How about if I pave a road right through it? I hadn't thought about that. I'm, I'm dying. My soul is dying of thirst. How about if I make a river in the wilderness? I mean, I, God can provide for us. And part of our anxiety is because we don't see the solution and we act as though the only solution that could possibly be is the one we see. Some of you are in anxious, stressed out places right now and seasons in your life because everywhere you look around, everywhere you look ahead, you cannot see the way forward. And God is saying, do not anxiously look about. Trust me. And that passage, don't call to mind the former things or ponder things of the past. Let's go ahead and use my cell phone as an example. So let's call this something in your past. Let's call it something bad in your past. It's something that you did or they did or it was a perfect storm. 
And there it is. He says, don't call to mind and ponder things of the past. That word ponder means to ponder. (laughs) (laughs) Think about it. Look at it. Look at it from that side. Yeah, that's what they did. That's what they said. Yep, that's how I respond. That, 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 and that's what happened, yep. And then I, I, I have resentment for them, I hate them, or I feel guilty or ashamed, whatever. And I, yeah, yeah, that, that, that's still it. <laughs> still there. Yeah, that's what they said. That's what, they, that, that's what I did, and that's what happened. That's how it went. And then <sighs> I get depressed, or I get angry, I get resentful, whatever. And I just keep pondering it and pondering it and pondering it. And, and what God is saying through Isaiah is, is, do not call to mind the former things or ponder things of the past because all that will do, the past, biblically, biblical worldview, there's a few things to do with the past. One is look back on the good things and the blessings and be thankful. You can carry the gratitude forward. The second thing is look back on the past and learn from it. All right, that's part of wisdom. May we forgive whatever happened in the past, them or us. But once you've resolved and kind of dealt with current state, the bad things of the past, the third thing you do with the past, you leave it. Paul says, forgetting what lies behind, I press on to what God has for me so I may lay hold of that for which I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. God's not done with you yet. He's laid hold of you, has things he wants to do in you. And one of the things that will determine if it happens or not is how much you just keep pondering the past, pondering the past. Just a second, God. And we pondered some more. I can look at some more. And, and, And we stay with that. And some of you are so tethered to whatever it was, whatever they did, they said you did. I'm going to tell you right now, stop it. In Jesus' name, let it go. Stop pondering and carrying forward things of the past. And the sad thing is, the, the, the ironic thing is, if it involves somebody else, chances are they ain't thinking about it at all. So don't ponder things of the past. Move forward anticipate the new things that God will do. And it's roadways in the wilderness. I was at Planet Fitness the other day, and I'm watching, on again, all these screens I love. So, and they're showing this one screen, and there's these guys on these motocross uh, bicycles, these BMX bikes, and they're going down these mountain tops. I think, that's pretty cool. You know, they got all these paths. And then there was this one part with this guy. I had to watch it. I had to wait for it to come around again, the loop. And it's like, he hit this bump about this high. He went up, and he pivoted, and then he went that way. And I thought, after I watched it, I go, that's cool. Did I see what I saw? And then I realized that when he went up like this, he had to pivot because right there was a cliff. And I thought, I ain't doing that, right? (laughs) That's cool for him. It's ER for me. (laughs) But Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. He didn't say, you'll never be in a wilderness, You'll never lack for a road. You'll never be thirsty. No, he said, I'm the good shepherd, and if you trust me, I will lead you. He never said every path to be pleasant. In fact, in Psalm 23, it says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me beside still waters. He makes me lie down in green pastures. I love that. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. The very next verse, when it talks about the paths of righteousness, is, yea, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, You're with me, the good shepherd. Trust him. Trust him to lead you through every circumstance. 
And then Isaiah 55, verse 8, it says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. Can I get an amen to that? Wow. God does not solve problems the way I would, in the timing I would. I mean, he, he brings so many different perspectives. He says, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. I mean, I, and Jesus modeled that. God's ways are not your ways. I mean, he finds this blind man, right? And he says to the blind man, you want to be healed? Yeah, yeah, I want to be healed, I do. And so what does Jesus do? He spits on the ground, all right? He takes the, the dirt, makes it into mud. He puts it on the guy's eyes. He's going, what are you doing, Jesus? I'm putting mud on your eyes. What? Right? I mean, would you think of that as a solution for a blind guy? No. Now go wash your eyes. Some of the things you're going through are God's unexpected solution for you. Some of the things that happen in your life are God's way that he wanted to fix that or grow you or show you, but you won't have it. His ways are so much higher than ours. And the times that I get, I almost said frustrated with God. That doesn't sound good. But the times I get that with God, it's usually because his way, my way. And the gap, my bad. And so now, Isaiah, from around here in the Bible, goes all the way to here, second to the last chapter. He talks about look forward to Jesus, not the first coming of Christ, but the second coming of Christ. And Isaiah writes in Isaiah 65, verse 17, God is speaking through him, Behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things will not be remembered or come to mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. And you get to Revelation chapter 21, and God says, Behold, a new heaven and a new earth. And and all crying, all pain, all sickness, all death wiped away, every tear dried from our eyes because the fall and the curse are done and behind us and we'll be with God for forever. And Isaiah tells us that. So it's a divine do-over and I ask myself, okay, how does that happen? Because the Bible, there's some spiritual laws. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. All right, and that's why all those animals were ceremoniously sacrificed, but that stopped. All right, and the wages of sin is death. So who paid for my sin, your sin, and who died for me? Well, that's where Jesus comes in, and that's where Isaiah declares to us what Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all tell us, the four Gospels, the biographies of Christ. That's in the New Testament. Here's what Isaiah writes. It's as though he had a front row seat watching it happen. Isaiah 53, 3, he was despised and forsaken of men. Jesus was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised. We did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he himself bore and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our sins. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him and by his stripes we're healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord, God, has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him on that cross. Seven centuries before it happens, Isaiah says, this is our Messiah, our Redeemer. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb that's led to the slaughter, like a sheep that's silent before its shearers. So he did not open 
his mouth. Jesus, hanging on that cross, pierced for our transgressions, could easily have said to the angelic host, I've changed my mind. Take me down from here. But he didn't. Because on that cross, he knew the wages of the sin of humanity, your wages and mine, was death. He knew that without the shedding of somebody's blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. And so he, what did John the Baptist say when he saw Jesus? The first time he sees him after the, after the temptation, he goes, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And Jesus said, I will be that Lamb. No longer the blood of lambs and goats and bulls in the Old Testament. I will be the Lamb and I will pay the price once and for all. So that Stan, you can have a wonderful counselor who understands you like no one else. You can have someone to turn to when you're anxious and afraid. You can have someone to turn to when you're wasted and spent. I will give you strength. I will give you peace. I will give you forgiveness. I will cleanse your sins white as snow. I will be that to you. I'm so grateful for the goodness of Jesus Christ that Isaiah told us and God was faithful to him. So let's close with just a moment of gratitude if you bow your heads with me. If you're not a Christian, if you are a Christian, first of all, man, take a moment and just thank Jesus for who he is. Thank him that he is your Prince of Peace. Thank him that his ways are higher than your ways and ask him for the grace to trust him, not to have to figure them all out, but to walk by faith and not by sight and follow him as the good shepherd of your soul. Thank, you for his thank him for his loving touch and for binding up your brokenheartedness for forgiveness for your sins, first time, every time. If you're not a Christian today, friend, you have to make a decision because you either have Jesus or judgment waiting for you. I would encourage you today, as there's a stirring in your heart, to ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins. Apologize, repent. Thank you for dying on a cross for you. Ask him to be your Lord and Savior. And just tell him, I surrender my life to you today this 4th of July weekend, 2022, I commit my life to you. I ask you to be my Lord and Savior. And when you leave at our VIP room, they'll give you some information. What does that mean to, to follow Jesus? But take a moment and just express your love and your gratitude for who he is and what he's done.